Hello, everybody. This is Joseph P. Farrell with news and views from the Nefarium on Thursday, February 11th, 2021. Can you believe it? We are already about halfway through uh, the, <laughs> the month of February, and we have a special news and views today. I hope everybody can hear me. I see that we have about 17 people following things. I don't see anybody in the chat room, so let me know if, if you can see and hear me all right. But today we have a kind of a long news and views. Um, I've got four different articles here. I'm, I'm talking about the fallout, continuing fallout from the last American presidential selection. So I put together four articles, three of them on domestic issues. And one of them on a looming geopolitical problem <laughs> called Russia. Okay. Um, so anyway, before we get to that, I've got four articles. It's going to be kind of a long news and views. But before we get to that, the house. Let's take care of the house cleaning. There is a vid chat tomorrow at two o'clock U.S. Central Time. Uh, this will be for our friends in Europe and Africa in those time zones. You don't have to be from Europe and Africa to participate in those vid chats, but uh, we do two extended format vid chats per month. We do one for Europe and Africa, and then a week from tomorrow, we'll be doing the one for the Americas and the Pacific uh, region, which is later. So anyway, get your vid chat questions and comments into me by the end of today or before I go to bed, whichever comes first, which means don't wait around. Uh, get your vid chat questions submitted to me so that I can get them printed off. As always, I'll be in the chat room early tomorrow for what we call pre-chat. That's just kind of free flow. We're talking about whatever we want to talk about. Uh, and then we do the uh, questions and comments that people email me. And then at the end of the month, don't forget, we've got the short format vid chat. That's already posted. In that vid chat, I want you to submit your questions and comments in the actual comment area. That's already up uh, in the members area, and there are people that have already submitted some questions and comments. So uh, without further ado, let's talk about the pushback uh, that's going on. At least that's the way I'm looking at it. I'm, I'm looking at it more as fallout from this last presidential selection than anything else. And I may be completely wrong in viewing it as fallout. Uh, it may be just things that were in the works already and that uh, people are just going ahead with. Anyway, all right. Article number one is about my home state of South Dakota. Uh, this was an article, and I'll link this for everybody. This was an article found on the Daily Wire, and it's fairly short. Uh, the article is by Amanda Prestigia Como, and uh, the article's titled, Legislation in South Dakota Seeks to Nullify Biden Executive Orders. This is dateline February 8th, uh, three days ago. Quote, Legislation introduced in the South Dakota House of Representatives seeks to give the state's attorney general the authority to review executive orders from President Biden and potentially nullify any order deemed unconstitutional. Now, we'll get back for those of you overseas that are not American 
Uh, we'll get back to what nullification is in the next article. Anyway, to continue. State Representative Aaron Allward, uh, Re Republican of Harrisburg, which is a little town not too far from my hometown of uh, Sioux Falls, introduced House Bill 1194, which is described as an act to, quote, authorize the review of certain executive orders issued by the President of the United States, unquote. And here it is. The bill specifies that Attorney General Jason Ravensborg could exempt South Dakota from any law or order quote, that restricts a person's rights or that is determined to be unconstitutional, unquote, if the law or order relates to the following, number one, a pandemic or other public health emergency, number two, the regulation of natural resources, meaning oil pipelines, folks, number three, the regulation of the agricultural industry, which obviously is a huge part of South Dakota's income. Number four, the regulation of land use. Number five, the regulation of, financial, of the financial sector through imposition of environmental, social, or governance standards. Or six, the regulation of the constitutional right to keep and bear arms. So in other words, South Dakota may, I, the bill has not passed. I don't know if it'll pass. I don't know if Governor uh, Noam of South Dakota will sign the bill even if it does pass. But it's interesting that South Dakota is taking this stance. Uh, it is not a large state in terms of population. It's certainly not a large state in terms of its economic uh, wealth. But it's interesting that South Dakota is taking this stand anyway. We're seeing also in the United States certain Indian tribes also beginning to push back. One Indian tribe in particular was very upset with uh, President Biden's executive order against oil pipeline, the continuation of the Keystone Pipeline. So anyway, we're seeing a lot of pushback. Um, the second article here uh, that I want to talk about, and this one we're going to go a little more in depth. I'm going to be reading a little more from this. And I want to... Um, clarify something here. I'm referencing an article from an American outlet called The New American. Now, for those of you who do not know this outlet, this is the outlet, the official magazine of the American John Birch Society, an ex a sort of extremely conservative uh, outlet. I am not sympathetic to that society. However, uh, I'm using their article because it's the most informative article, in my opinion, out of all the articles out there about what the governor of Oklahoma has just done. And here we go. Uh, this article is by Steve Bias. It's uh, dateline February 9th, 2021. And the article is titled, Oklahoma Governor Nullifies Biden's Executive Order with his own. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Quote, charging that Executive Order 13990 issued by President Biden, quote, is in contravention of Article 2, Section 2, and the Tenth Amendment of the United States Constitution, unquote. Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt issued his own executive order this week to, in effect, nullify it. Governor Stitt is a Republican elected in 2018. His order is challenging Biden's order as, quote, 
adverse to energy producers throughout the United States and Oklahoma. His decision terminates the Keystone XL pipeline, that's Biden's decision, and claims to rejoin the Parrot, claims to rejoin the Parrot Climate Accord while failing to seek ratification by the U.S. Senate, unquote. According to the U.S. Constitution, a presidential agreement with the government of another nation is not law until at least two-thirds of the Senate ratifies it. President Barack Obama placed the United States in the Paris deal without a treaty vote. This was reversed by President Trump, and now President Biden has put the United States back into it. Uh, these policies of the Paris Accord allow the—this is Governor Stitt— allow the world's powers to continue carbon-2 emissions, causing the U.S. harm to its own economy, threatening millions of jobs in states like Oklahoma, while making no meaningful difference in the world's emissions. And that was Governor Stitt. Now, I'm skipping in this article to a few paragraphs towards the end because this article also covers nullification, and this will explain in part, I think, what you see possibly emerging here in this country as a trend. So anyway, skipping now, quote, Now therefore I, J. Kevin Stitt, governor of Oklahoma, by virtue of the power and authority vested in me by the Constitution and laws of the state of Oklahoma, hereby direct every state agency to utilize all civil methods and lawful powers to protect its Tenth Amendment powers and challenge any actions by the federal government that would seek to diminish or destroy Oklahoma's ability to encourage job growth and the responsible development of our natural resources within the energy industry, unquote. That pretty well sums it up. The article continues, nullification is the recognition that the states and their citizens created the union and that the union should answer to them. In other words, if I can put that differently, an American talk show host recently said that the union is not a suicide pact. <laughs> okay, and that's true. It isn't. The concept was first developed by Thomas Jefferson and James Madison as a tool for the states to act when the federal government refuses to abide by the U.S. Constitution. It has been used effectively to thwart the many actions of the federal government, such as, listen carefully, folks, such as when Michigan and Wisconsin refused to cooperate with the Fugitive Slave Act in the 1850s. Now, now let me stop right there. Um, the reference to the Civil War here and to the antebellum period, the period running up to the Civil War, uh, I think is highly significant because uh, what you saw prior to that period was essentially the federal system breaking down as the North and the South pursued their respective economic interests. And I think you're watching the same thing happen again. Uh, I've been saying for a long time that we're in kind of a, uh, a, a Harper's Ferry 2.0 moment of history here in this country. And you're seeing a lot of pushback, and I'm going to get back to this when I try and summarize all of this in a minute. Anyway, to continue. Today, states have passed laws to nullify federal laws against guns within their state borders. Think of Missouri, folks. And in Michigan, conservatives got a law enacted that kept state officials from helping federal officers 
use indefinite detention under provisions of the National Defense Authorization Act. So in other words, states are even pushing back against aspects of the, the federal budget itself and some of the provisions therein. Writing for the Mises Institute, Thomas Woods explained nullification, quote, nullification is the Jeffersonian idea that the states of the American Union must judge the constitutionality and acts of their agent, the federal government, since no impartial arbiter between them exists. When the federal government exercises a particularly dangerous power not delegated to it, the states must refuse to allow its enforcement within their borders, unquote. Governors like presidents cannot legally create law with an executive order, but they can issue orders to persons in the executive branch to refuse to cooperate with federal officials in every way they can to frustrate the implementation of unconstitutional usurpations of state authority, as has been done by President Biden with his executive orders. And, of course, that's the perception of this particular news source, although I would tend to agree with it. Now, third story here, and this one is connected with everything that I've just said. We've seen Missouri enacting nullification laws. We've got a nullification bill working its way through the South Dakota legislature. We've got a governor in Oklahoma issuing his own executive order uh, of not cooperating with the federal government in the implementation of no oil pipelines and so on and so forth. And hovering in the background, let's remember that you had the state of South Carolina recently passing a bill to recognize any bullion coin as legal tender. Okay, any. Not just those denominated in dollars, but any. <laughs> okay, and, of course, you have everything going on in Texas. You have a state referendum uh, being proposed to ask Texans what they think about secession. You've got the bullion depository in the state of Texas as well as Utah. So, in other words, folks, it's looking to me like we're looking at a pattern uh, that some states are saying enough is enough. All right? Now, this next article has to be put into that context because um, the pushback or the fallout that we're seeing is, again, along red-blue state lines, okay? So this article is titled, A Proposed Stock Transfer Tax. Listen, folks. Could send the New York Stock Exchange packing. This is a short article by Charlie McCarthy, datelined uh, the 9th of this month. And I'm just going to read five paragraphs from this very short article and then remind you of something. Quote, two professional football teams left New York for another state. But the New York Stock Exchange, that is a possibility if the Empire State, New York, imposes a transfer tax on stock sales according to the exchange's president. In a Tuesday op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Stock Exchange president, Stacey Cunningham, said she and 25 other representatives of New York's securities industry sent a letter to state legislative leaders warning against the unintended consequences of imposing such a tax. 
The New York Stock Exchange belongs in New York, Cunningham said. But if Albany lawmakers get their way, the center of the global financial industry may need to find a new home, unquote. A financial tax was proposed last year in New Jersey, where many exchanges host their servers. Uh, these exchanges quickly mobilized to temporarily move their employees and activity outside the state. If we increase the tax like that, you mobilize people, potentially just move your transactions and your servers to another part of the country where those taxes don't exist. Now, that's the article. Now, folks, what you're seeing here, let's remember, let's put this story in the context of the story that we saw that I blogged about just a few weeks ago, that the governor of the state of Texas, Greg Abbott, was talking to the NASDAQ exchange, trying to get them to move the exchange to Texas. And in, indeed, what he's wanting are the data server centers to move to Texas. And he was also, he said, in talk with quote-unquote other exchanges. Okay, remember that? And I think we just found out who the other exchanges were. Now, folks, if the data centers, let's remember algorithmic trading, drives much of the trades on stock, that is to say equities and commodities exchanges today. The reason that those servers are in New Jersey is to avoid New York taxes, but they have to be close to the exchanges that they are trading in because trades can be executed successfully or unsuccessfully depending on a few, uh, a few thousandths of a second, okay? To move the servers that far away from New York is in effect, therefore, to move the exchange. So I suspect that you're seeing um, signals being sent, uh, mend your ways or we're gone. Now we've already seen big companies moving out of California to Texas, Elon Musk, for example. Um, and I'm suspecting that we might be seeing similar moves be made by Wall Street and other financial centers. And let's remember, Texas is the center right now of a lot of talk about secession. So when you put all this together, I'm arguing that we may be seeing a pattern emerging of response to the last presidential selection. And it's very worrying to me because uh, it's, it's looking like a de facto, if not de jure, crack-up of the country. Um, we'll see where this goes, but uh, the rumblings have begun. Uh, we're seeing state pushback against federal overreach. Uh, we're hearing talk of secession and so on. So we are in another uh, Harper's Ferry 2.0 moment of American history. Now, the biggest concern I've had has been the geopolitical fallout. And uh, I want to direct your attention finally to an article that appeared. This is a rather long article. I'm not even going to attempt to go into all the details in this article. I simply am going to read uh, a few paragraphs from the very beginning 
uh, a couple of paragraphs toward the middle of this article, and then all the way, let me see here, uh, all the way towards the end of this article. This article is found on the Saker's website. Um, if you don't know the Saker, he is a Russian-American that comments a lot on Russian politics and the West's uh, complete misunderstanding of Russia. I happen to agree with him that uh, the West is not looking at Russia uh, correctly, and because of this, it is miscalculating hugely. But I go further than the Saker, although he might agree with me. I don't know. But I also view the the reaction of the West to Russia as being kind of a subliminal inherent Western dislike of any Eastern Orthodox cultures or countries. And Russia, of course, is the leader of those types of cultures. Um, but anyway, he has an article that just came out uh, on February 9th, and it's an excellent article. It's rather lengthy. So I'm going to link it so that you can go look at the entire article and, and see how he fleshes out his argument with detail. And the article's titled, The Headless Chicken and the Bear. <laughs> okay? And uh, the headless chicken is the European Union. And he starts his article this way, quote, the European Union has a major problem. It is run by a comprador class, which is entirely dependent on the United States. Okay, that by itself is not the problem I'm referring to. The problem I'm referring to is one that we could call the problem of the decapitated chicken. <laughs> a decapitated chicken can run around without a head but it sure does not know where it is running or why. This happens to all comprador classes when their beloved masters suddenly vanish. This is exactly what happened to the European ruling classes when Trump came into the White House. They lost their head and began running all over the place, obviously achieving nothing. Now that the neocons gave Trump the boot, the EU rulers are desperate to show the new U.S. leaders that they only hated Trump, not the USA. And what better way to show your complete submission than by barking at the Asiatic Mordor of the East, known as Russia. <laughs> I love the way he characterizes this. And I would go further. I would say that, that if you are a leader of one of the European great powers, Italy, France, Germany, you know, the usual, the usual suspects. And you see this revolving door and this lurching back and forth in American foreign policy with each change of administration. It's no wonder the European leaders are running around like headless chickens. All right. But anyway, to continue, I'm kind of skipping a lot here in the Sakers article. But he points out the recent meeting of the European delegate Borrell to meet with the Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, all right? And he, <laughs> he characterizes the meeting this way, and I want you to pay very close attention. 
the real slap in the collective face of the European Union was the press conference of Lavrov and Borrell in which Lavrov was truly, uniquely direct and candid. Quote, for example, Lavrov bluntly said, quote, we are proceeding from the assumption that the European Union is not a reliable partner, at least at the current stage. I hope that in future strategic in the future the strategic attention will be given to the EU's fundamental interest in its closest neighbors and that the talks we have held today will promote movement toward a more constructive trajectory. We are ready for this. Unquote. Translated from diplo speak into plain English, this means one, we are fed up with two, with you, and two, we don't need you. <laughs> Again, I, I have to agree with the Saker. That's exactly what it means. This blunt statement is what triggered all the subsequent hysterics in Brussels about Borrell being ill-treated by the Russians and Borrell's subsequent declaration that, quote, Russia does not want a constructive dialogue, unquote, and that the EU must now decide if it still wants to get closer to Russia or if it wants to distance itself from a country slipping into authoritarianism. <laughs> so there you have Sergei Lavrov basically telling the EU, go take a long hike off a short pier until you guys can figure out what it is you're, you want to go, what it is you want to do and what direction you want to go. All right. Now I'm skipping to the very end of the Sakers article here, because this is where he's getting into the fallout from the recent selection. He says, quote, making predictions is a tricky thing when dealing with both, one, countries with limited agency and sovereignty, and two, countries led by incompetent and delusional politicians. The many theories of deterrence out there all assume what is called a rational actor and a truly sovereign state. What is certain is that the empire, meaning America, and its EU protectorates will only increase what I call petty harassment measures to try and offend and humiliate Russia. In response to this ankle-biting, Russia will do two things. It will drop any pretense of diplomacy and denounce these ankle-bites for what they are, provocations, and further turn to Zone B, that is to say, reliable partners for partnerships. Zone B is the Eurasian landmass. In other words, Russia will turn to China, India, maybe even Japan, I've been arguing that, as actors that it can deal with. Russia will also bluntly spell out to the Europeans the risks that they are taking with their ill-conceived saber-rattling along the Russian border. Sadly, this probably means, just as the Chinese Navy recently, that the Russian aerospace forces and navies will have orders to engage any aircraft or vessel threatening Russia. So far, these are only rumors, but they are persistent and seem to have strong backing in the state Duma. This is a very dangerous development as Western politicians, being primarily ideological and therefore delusional creatures, will always prefer to play a game of headless chicken, hoping the other guy will back down. 
The fact that the other guy, both Russian and Chinese, in the past did indeed back down and show restraint only further encourages Western politicians to double down forever, no matter what. For these reasons, I would call the probability, listen, of an actual military clash between the United States, NATO, and or Russia, China, as likely in 2021. As for the future of North Stream Pipeline 2, I always assume that European Union politicians can count their euros and realize that the European Union needs that project way more than Russia. Frankly, I'm not so, so sure now counting on the mental abilities of a headless chicken is probably not a good idea. Neither is counting on the courage of the type of politicians whom Boris Johnson once called supine invertebrate protoplasmic jellies. So there you have it. Um, with the headless chicken running around and doing the ankle-biting routine with Russia, uh, the, the situation got ratcheted up enormously. And with Bidenenko, as I like to call him, in the White House, I think you're going to see further uh, ratcheting up of pressure on Russia in the form of uh, American-sponsored protests, NGO actions, and so on and so forth. And that could backfire big time. Um, it, could, it could backfire enormously. Uh, frankly, I do not put the American military in any conventional clash with Russia. Uh, I think the American military is going to be bloodied pretty badly. Um, you, you cannot take a politically correct and sensitive military and put it up against the Russian military and expect to come out on top. Um, anyway, uh, the, the domestic part of this situation is getting very, very worrisome to me. Uh, I think you're now seeing clear patterns of uh, federal government overreach and state pushback that could also end up in a real mess. Um, the previous time we saw this sort of thing happen was, again, before the war between the states, the American Civil War, over a century ago. So um, I, I just... I don't know what else to tell you folks, but we're watching the continuing fallout. Now, in addition to this, I want to direct your attention to an article, a guest post that was just blogged today. It just went up on the website today. Uh, we do accept guest posts. There have been guest posts on this website occasionally. One of my website members sent me an analysis that I thought was just absolutely superb about some of the financial things going on right now that I would urge you go to the website and look at that article because, again, I think we're looking at uh, long-term plans that may have been accelerated as a result of, uh, of the last American federal election. Anyway, um, we have quite a, quite a discussion going on in the uh, chat room right now. I'm sorry I haven't been, uh, as I've been talking, I've, I've been um, 
Truth Lover says the U.S. military must have some secret weapons that are not known about. I think a war will be designed to depopulate China. Well, I'm sure that there are secret weapons, but the problem is, you know, everybody can have secret weapons. <laughs> and uh, if we do, then rest assured, Russia does <laughs> and China does. Uh, Uh, Foka Wolf 190D, interesting username there, but he says nobody wants to take Russia from the Russians. Well, I agree. I don't think anyone wants to take Russia from the Russians, but what they do want to do is change the cultural direction of Russia. Um, this is this has been an, a millennium long conflict, if you look at it culturally. Um. Corporatocracy, yes, corporatocracy does. Anyway, so we're looking at we're looking at a pattern of, of some fallout here, and I think it's only going to get much, much worse. Um, how do we have an American Civil War? Assume well, again, I'm not thinking in terms of a conventional civil war. All I'm suggesting is that you're watching a a de facto crack up. Um if it does, if it does get to that, you know, um, if that thing were to go nuclear, rest assured, there would be foreign involvement. Ken Fleming says Russia and Eastern Europe have managed to evade the culture war and that bothers the elite. Bingo, Ken. I think you're absolutely right on that score. Uh, if anything, Russia is moving in exactly the opposite direction that the modern West is moving. And like I say, it's a millennium-old uh, culture war that's been going on between East and West. Harry Honkanen uh, says it's a global civil war. I hope I pronounced your name correctly. I do think, yes, it's also a global civil war, although I wouldn't – I would say it's a global cultural war. Uh Mr. Globaloni has a cultural vision of no culture. <laughs> and people don't like that. And uh, that was the huge miscalculation. Anyway, um, who will replace Merkel? Oh, <laughs> don't get me started there. Um, that's anybody's guess. Um, there are big, big problems in Germany. There are big, big problems in Germany. Uh, Alexander Jess says there is a perception that Russia is magog and must be fought by any means. I happen to agree with you, Alexander. There is a segment of the American deep state that is heavily subscribed to the dispensational theological reading, uh, and that that you can write off to the influence of, of evangelicals. Now, I'm not a dispensationalist. I've said over and over again that is not where I'm coming from. But I do think there are people that have been using that as a template of their moves on the global stage. Anyway, that's it for my news and views of the day, folks. Uh, this, this continuing fallout is going to be very interesting to watch.
So thanks for tuning in and um, uh, Specious Exchange says, can you see the crown still pushing to prevent the cooperation of U.S., Russia, China, minus the Communist Party of China, or is the EU the new surrogate uh, for imperialism? I think they would like the EU to be the new surrogate for imperialism, but the problem is... Uh, they they have to get a European military, and that's run into some bumps. Uh, that's the problem. That's the problem. Anyway, that's it, folks. Uh, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you on the flip side. Don't forget, folks, all of you members out there, please get your questions, comments in today before I go to bed, whenever that is. Usually I, I try and hit the sack around midnight, so get the questions and comments in so that I can get them printed out and ready to go for tomorrow. All right, that's it, folks. Bye-bye. We'll see you on the flip side. God bless.